Rebecca, Rebecca, Candon, and today our colleague Melissa. So we took a break in July to regroup and recover from the chaos that is school group season because we are, after all, all tour guides in Washington, D.C. But we wanted to share a special episode before we are back in full force in a few weeks. So we've missed you all and thank you so much for understanding our need to prioritize mental health and a break from work. Becca is in Disney World right now. You can follow her on Instagram at Disney Girl Girls. Rebecca is in New England, and I am just trying to survive until the kids go back to school. So Melissa and I wanted to chat about someone well-known in the DC theater world. If you follow us on social media, you know that Becca and I are really into musicals, and that my husband is a musician in many of the DC shows. So we all know who Helen Hayes is in the sense that the main DC Theater Awards are named after her, but Melissa knows a lot more about her fascinating career and legacy. And Tour Guide Tell All is all about sharing women in history that you ought to know. So Melissa is a guide with DC by Foot 2, and she focuses on, well, Melissa, I will let you talk about it and lead us into Helen Hayes. Good morning, Tour Guide Tell All listeners. I am Melissa, the special guest for your ear holes. Patrons may remember me from a special spooky Halloween episode last year. And for those of you who are not yet patrons, I am Melissa, one of the other guides at DC by Foot. I specialize in ghosts, murders, the historically excluded, But today, we're going to dip into something not quite as scary, but definitely as awesome. So my day job is as a theater artist and educator, primarily working in costumes. And that's what we're going to dip into today, some amazing American theater history. More specifically, Helen Hayes, the first lady of the American theater, the first person to EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony. She spent 80 years as a working actress on stage and screen and was in over 80 Broadway productions. October 10th, 1900, Helen Hayes Brown was born in Washington, D.C. to Frances Van Arnhem Brown and Catherine Estelle Hayes. Catherine was the daughter of Irish immigrants who came to the U.S. during the famine. An aspiring actress, she worked with local troops and brought her daughter along, and she worked around the area and with the Columbia Players. Now, Helen's entire life was the stage. At five, she performed in The Prince Chap, and the audience was full of her mother's bridge group and her father's Elks Club. Her first professional role was at the Belasco Theater in Lafayette Square, but it was when she was performing in a recital for Miss Minnie Hawk's School of Dance that she was spotted by Lou Fields, part of Weber and Fields' comedy team. He instantly saw her talent and cast her in the 1908 production of Old Dutch in New York City. Helen Hayes Brown was too long for the marquee, so they just wrote Helen Hayes. And she was listed as, quote, the greatest leading lady of her size we have ever seen, end quote. Helen and her family were devout Catholics, and so while she was working as a child actress in New York, she also attended the Dominican Academy's primary school on the Upper East Side from 1910 to 1912. 
She then returns to D.C. at the Academy of the Sacred Heart Convent until graduation in 1917. Then it is back to New York to pursue her career. She does Dear Brutus in 1918 and Bab in 1920. Quote, I was the youngest star the New York stage ever had, and it darn near wrecked me. End quote. In 1925, the Irish Hayes plays the Egyptian Cleopatra in Shaw's Caesar and Cleopatra, and the show itself gets mixed reviews, but Helen is clearly a standout. At the beginning of the 1926 season, Helen meets Charles MacArthur, a movie critic who wrote plays in his spare time. Now, their initial meeting is casual, but Charlie soon, soon starts calling Helen and asking for dates. Uh, he's also married at the time, which is kind of a no-go for the Catholics. Helen recalls the first meeting, quote, I picked up a glass of sherry to fit in and retreated to a secluded niche, niche, niche. 20 minutes later, a good-looking fellow with curly brown hair and sparkling green eyes came over Maybe because he felt sorry for me sitting there all alone. He held out a small paper bag. Want a peanut? He asked. Thanks, I said. He poured a few in my hand and said, I wish they were emeralds. Right then and there, I fell in love. End quote. Now, at that moment, either George Gershwin was playing the piano or it was Irving Berlin playing with one finger. Accounts vary. Now, Charles MacArthur already had a reputation as a fun-loving prankster who, instead of asking the stars he interviewed for their autographs, would offer his own. And when they said yes, he would whip out a headshot and then autograph it. I love you, Charles MacArthur. At their second meeting, Charles offers Helen some career advice, specifically that she should play the lead in Sir James Barry's What Every Woman Knows. He says... Quote, take my word for it. Time is ripe for you to break away from comedy. Get into drama. Take the lead in this play of Barry's, end quote. And Helen finally accepts. The play begins out of town. And when it arrives in New York, she was hailed as the best young actress in America. On opening night, Charles had to fight his way backstage to congratulate her. It's in 1928, when she's in the middle of a successful run of Coquette, when the front page opens, written by Charles MacArthur and Ben Hecht. They closed Coquette for the day so Helen could go see his show. And she sat in the balcony and Charles and his co-writer, Ben, sat out on the fire escape. They were super nervous. Right away, Helen knows that it's going to be a hit. So she, like, books it out to where they're sitting screaming it's a hit it's a hit and charlie responds by opening his arms and asking will you marry me helen so now he has a hit play and a fiance and that means he needs to get divorced august 17 1928 they were married and helen was surprised they had gone out for a soda and it was a crazy hot new york summer day they walked into an office building on 42nd street and Charles said, oh, well, let's go up to the 18th floor. I have a friend of his. He just happens to work here. So they get up to the top. They say hello. They have a seat. And then out of nowhere, Charlie starts jumping up and making phone calls. First, he calls Helen's mother. Then Alexander Wolcott and Ben Hecht and tells them, get over here right now. 
And Helen's wondering what's going on. She says, well, I mean, what's all the mystery? And Charles replies, oh, I forgot to tell you, we're going to be married. Where's the minister? Within minutes, everyone is assembled. And Helen still objects, but Charlie married this way without any announcements, any attendance, not even in a church. Besides, I'm not certain I want to marry you. And Charlie responds, what? After making these people come all this way in such weather, you can't back out now. So they were married, which proves to be problematic because Helen is Catholic and James is divorced. So during their marriage, she isn't able to receive the sacraments of the Catholic Church. After his passing, he returns and she credits it as her only rebellion in her life. September 1929, during the third run of her longest running show, Coquette, Helen Hayes becomes pregnant. Now, Coquette is a story about a well-born Southern girl who is made pregnant by a hillbilly, and then she kills herself. Because Helen is mainly known for her comedy, few thought she could handle the part, but boy, were they wrong. Opening night audiences embraced her with 16 curtain calls. Despite this, though, it's crazy big success. Everyone loves it. The producer, Jed Harris, closes the show after she becomes pregnant. And he refuses to pay the cast demands for the salary settlements through Actors' Equity, which is the acting union. By He invokes a clause in their contracts that removes him of responsibility, quote, in the event of fire, accident, strikes, riots, and act of God. For him, pregnancy was considered an act of God, and so he felt he did not have to pay his performers, his crew members, because of this insane incident that happened. Harris goes on to lose the case and he ends up having to pay up everyone. From then on, Mary MacArthur Hayes, no, Mary Hayes MacArthur, born the 16th of February, 1930, was referred to throughout the country as the act of God baby. Later that year, Helen performed her only villainous role. Mr. Gil Hooley was Gil Hooley, Gil Hooley was an adaptation by Frank B. Elser of the Liam O'Flaherty novel. Isn't that a mouthful? So Helen plays a girl who is taken in by a rich older guy, even though she loves a younger guy. She continues to see younger guy is discovered and strangled. Then old guy shoots himself. John Anderson, a critic, wrote, quote, her performance of the street girl street girl is schemed out with such intuition and stated with such clarity that it becomes a major portrait. Despite that, the play itself is kind of dismissed. Audiences just don't want to see Helen Hayes as a villain, which I find to be incredibly unfortunate. Uh, villains are always some of the, the best characters. They're juicy. They're meaty. And Helen agrees. She herself stated that, quote, that's what makes it interesting, of course. Actors love to play unsympathetic roles. Iago is far better than Othello, and Richard III is far better than the worthy people in the play. She points out, No actress worth her name wants to be loved all the time. They want to be admired for a performance, and they want to excite people with their art. 
Helen was so well-loved she couldn't even take secondary roles because audiences would drown out the show with their, like, excitement and their applause. She had a small role in School for Scandal, and the show literally stopped when she entered. Poor Helen. She just wants to work. She said they wouldn't stop applauding. This terrible, long, agonizing reception went on, and I remember standing there facing the other actors, and of course, you just curts we curtsied and stayed down there long enough to break anyone's heart, and it went on and on. I was just miserable. It is very hard being popular, y'all. In 1931, Helen Hayes wins the Academy Award for Best Actress in her first major film role in The Sin of Madeleine Claudet. She follows that with roles in Aerosmith, 1931, opposite Richard Coleman, Farewell to Arms in 32 with Gary Cooper, and Night Flight in 33 with John Barrymore. In late 1933, Hayes opened in her legendary role as Mary Stewart in Mary of Scotland. The play was written by Maxwell Anderson, especially for her. In 34, she and Charles purchased their home in Nyack, New York. Helen immediately admired the home's Italian architecture, architecture, the home's Italianate architecture on North Broadway. And Charles said it would cost a pretty penny. So that's what they called it. Pretty penny. Uh, Nyack is about an hour north of NYC. I totally had to Google that. In 1935, she opened Victoria Regina at the National Theater, playing, of course, the Queen. When the production moved to Broadway, Queen Victoria's granddaughter, Queen Victoria of Spain, was reportedly astonished at Hayes' regal performance of her grandmother and invited her to tea. Hayes played the Queen from girlhood to widowhood, aging visibly from act to act thanks to the makeup artist's skill and, of course, Helen's. On stage, she would age 82 years in two and a half hours. She performed this role 969 times. Interestingly, this was the only role that she and her husband disagreed on. Quote, he didn't care for it. He didn't think it had popular appeal, but it had moved me tremendously and amused me. I liked it. End quote. In 1937, Mary appears in her first play at the age of seven when her mother allowed her a walk-on role as Princess Edna of Battenberg in Victoria, Regina. Mary also gets a baby brother that year. James Gordon MacArthur is born December 8, 1937 to unknown biological parents, but adopted by the MacArthurs either at birth or seven months thereafter. None of this stops Helen, no matter what is happening in her personal life, she continues to work. In 1940, she breaks into Shakespeare, playing Viola in Twelfth Night. In 1943, she plays Harriet Beecher Stowe, directed by E. Directed by Elia Kazan. It was about Stowe's life and mixed fact with fictional characters from Uncle Tom's Cabin. The play was dedicated to Eleanor Roosevelt and was a feel-better romp for white wartime audiences. It ended with Hayes as Stowe giving a speech, extolling the importance of fighting against tyrants, and then everyone sings the battle hymn of the Republic. Hayes continues her great success and earns an Antoinette Perry Award for Best Dramatic Actress in her role in Happy Birthday. 
So April 6, 1947 was the inaugural year for the awards. The Antoinette Perry Awards were later nicknamed the Tonys after actress, director, producer, and badass wartime leader of the American theater wing, Antoinette Perry. The dinner was held at the Waldorf Astoria on Easter Sunday. It was black tie optional, and there were seven categories and eight special awards, one which went to Vincent Sardi, the famous owner of Sardi's Eatery on West 44th Street. Now, the initial awards included a monogrammed silver compact from Tiffany's for the ladies and engraved cigarette lighters or gold bill clips for the gentlemen. Other big winners that evening were Arthur Miller, Ingrid Bergman, Jose Ferrer, and Agnes DeMille. In 2013, Helen's Compact sells for $37,320 at auction. Whoo! Now that is a pretty penny. Later, in 1947, the National Theater in D.C. begins being picketed by the Committee for Racial Democracy, an organization with close ties to the NAACP. They were protesting because a man named Edward S. Henderson filed a lawsuit against the National Theater because they refused to sell him a ticket to Eagle Rampart in December of 1946. Edward S. Henderson was a black man. President Truman attended a production during the protest and just did not look the protesters in the eyes. In April of 1947, AEA, the Actors' Equity Association, threw their weight behind the cause and said they were, would refuse to let their actors play at the National unless it was desegregated by June 1st, 1948. They later bumped the date to August 1st. Owner of the theater, Marcus Hyman, refused to change the policy, citing, quote, long-established custom and deep-seated feeling, end quote, and a potential loss of revenue. In a letter to the editor printed in the New York Times, AEA President Clarence Derwent called out the fact that the, quote, policy was less than 30 years old. He stated that audiences would swallow their prejudices and come rushing to the box office to see Alfred Lunt, Lynn Fontaine, or Helen Hayes. Now, instead of waiting for someone to blink and this to, like, sort itself out, Helen Hayes, who was the vice president of Actors' Equity, took matters into her own hand. Z. She didn't even give the National a chance, and in June 1948, Helen played J.M. Barry's Alice Sit by the Fire for integrated audiences at the Olney Theater Center in Montgomery County, Maryland. Olney is actually where I got my start in professional theater. I interned there like over a decade ago, and I've been with them full time since 2018. The eight day engagement was sold out two weeks before opening and the 9,100 audience members were actively and conscientiously practicing democracy. During the summer, the judge dismissed Edward S. Henderson's lawsuit, and the National Theater turned into a movie house rather than integrate. The theater remained dark until the 1950s when a change of management finally integrated it. The first show to play at the newly integrated National Theater, Call Me Madam, included a 19-year-old D.C. native in the company, Cheetah Rivera. Five years later, the National hosted the world premiere of West Side Story. A year after Helen Hayes integrated DC Theater at Olney Theater Center, her son made his professional debut. 
James MacArthur made his stage debut at Olney, Maryland in 1949 with a two-week stint in The Corn is Green. His sister Mary was in the play and had called their mother to ask for James to go to Olney and be in it with her. The next summer, he reprised his role in Dennis, Massachusetts, and his theatrical career was underway. In September of 1949, Mary MacArthur is in previews for Good Housekeeping with her mother, first at Olney Theater, then at Falmouth Playhouse in Massachusetts. The Falmouth had just opened and was christened by Tallulah Bankhead, who broke a bottle of champagne on a prop. She wasn't supposed to do that. While her mother is starring in a leading role, Mary falls ill. She is diagnosed with polio, placed in an iron lung, but passes away on September 22nd. After that, Helen Hayes started the Mary MacArthur Memorial Fund, which helped search for a vaccine. Funds were sent to the New York State Reconstruction Hospital in West Haverstraw, where Hayes had been appointed a trustee in 1944 by Governor Dewey. High school plays and other local benefits added to the growing fund. She also worked tirelessly for the March of Dimes. The hospital, founded in 1900 by Dr. Newton Schaefer, is the nation's first freestanding state-operated hospital dedicated to the treatment of individuals with physical disabilities. Thanks to tireless research and support from Helen Hayes, by 1955, 1 1.5 million students were administered the Salk vaccine and polio slowly disappeared. Helen Hayes said, quote, I had the satisfaction of having Jonas Salk say to me that Mary's death had been tremendously influential in helping him into finishing off polio out of our lives through his vaccine, end quote. In 1953, Helen returns to the National Theater in D.C. with the leading role in Mrs. McThing. A review in the Post praised her thusly. Miss Hayes took an early stand and did not play here during this dispute, but pointedly did act at the non-discriminating, non-segregating only. More Southern than Northern, Miss Hayes was on record early and never wavered. So tomorrow night, a second cheer is in order for this aspect of her outspoken courage. Hayes herself affirmed that any form of segregation is outrageous and revolting, particularly in our nation's capital, the showcase of democracy. In 1953, she was the first ever recipient of the Sarah Siddons Award for her work in the Chicago theater, and she repeats as a winner in 1969. In 1955, the Fulton Theater on 46th Street in New York City's Broadway Theater District was renamed the Helen Hayes Theater. When the venue was torn down in 82, the nearby Little Theater was then renamed the Helen Hayes, the Helen Hayes Theater in her honor, and she jokingly stated, Today, I am a monument. She maintained her career and continued to work through her grief, her husband, however, was inconsolable. Mr. MacArthur set about to killing himself with drink after Mary's death, quote, it took seven years and it was harrowing to watch, end quote. April 21st, 1956, he passes away, and after his death, Helen returns to the Catholic Church, saying this was going to have to take the whole Roman Catholic Church to replace him. Now, none of this personal tragedy stops Helen's furious working pace. In April of 1957, she has a television appearance on What's My Line. 
it's available on YouTube and I'll put the link for the show notes that someone else will put up. Thanks, Candon. During filming of What's My Line, she receives a rousing ovation and her identity was revealed to the blindfolded panelists after answering yes to the following question. Have you ever stayed the role of Queen Victoria? They also called her the great leading woman of all time. The panelists asked after her son, who wished he could be there, but he had a natural science exam at Harvard. They also asked Helen what the busiest woman in show business was working on, and she spoke about fundraising drives for the Mary MacArthur Memorial Respirator Center in Wellesley, Massachusetts. Throughout all this, she is still performing on stage and in film, as is young James. In 1960, he is in Swiss Family Robinson, which, full disclosure, was one of my early life crushes on him in that movie. And then in 1968, he begins one of his best-known roles, Danny from Hawaii Five-O. Book him, Dano! In 1969, Helen performs in Arsenic and Old Lace. Now, I grew up with the 1944 Cary Grant Frank Capra one. I'm pretty sure this is the first black and white film I ever saw, and it made TCM my favorite channel in my formative years. My dad loves old movies, and so that's what we tend to bond over. My mother does not understand. But the Helen Hayes version of Arsenic and Old Lace was made for TV, but it wasn't a movie. It was the original stage play starring Helen Hayes, Lillian Gish, and Bob Crane, and it's footage of actors performing live on a stage in front of a theater audience as they would have performed had they been on stage in a theater production. Quote, if someone said to me before it happened, would you like to work with Helen Hayes and Lillian Gish? I'd have said they were joking. Bob Crane. Bob also took the advice of Helen, who had encouraged him to expand his acting style by appearing in more movies and stage plays during his summer hiatus from Hogan's Heroes. Hayes, who thought very highly of Bob, stated in the same TV Guide article, I watch Hogan's Heroes regularly. This young man, Bob Crane, is a wonderful farceur, and there are almost none of them around anymore. He's habit-forming. In 1971, Helen wins her second Oscar for her supporting comic role in Airport. When asked, was it fun? She responded, no, I agonize on the screen. I finally decided not to do any more of that. I was agonized and frightened the whole time I was doing it. In 1971, it is discovered she is allergic to the common dust that clings so desperately to theater seats and scenery. And because of her age, this forces a retirement from the stage in 1972. For 60 years, she wrote, I've heard two minutes, Miss Hayes, and I've sprinted onto the stage. It's become a reflex. Pavlov's actress, that's me. She retires while performing Eugene O'Neill's Long Day's Journey in Tonight in Washington and says, My career had begun in Washington and it would end there. She wrote, I like the idea of a circle being completed. An epitaph written on stage. Despite retiring, she is by no means slowing down. She is swimming five laps a day in her swimming pool. She is also president of the American Theater Wing and the American National Theater and Academy and is the national chairwoman of women's activities for the March of Dimes. 
1974, the New York State Reconstruction Hospital in West Haversaw, where she raised money to find a cure for polio, was renamed the Helen Hayes Hospital. She said, I've seen my name in lights, on theater marquees, and in letters 20 feet tall on Broadway billboards, but nothing has given me greater sense of pride and satisfaction than my 49-year-old association with this unique hospital. In 1975, she guest stars on Hawaii Five-O with her son. In the episode synopsis, Dan Williams welcomes his Aunt Clara to Hawaii for a visit. On the flight over, she got to know Edgar Miller, an elderly man on the same flight. Once he checks into his hotel room, Miller, Miller encounters two attackers, but not before he makes a telephone call to Clara. Five-O's Duke investigating Clara's call is initially taken in by an imposter, pretending to be Miller. But Five-O, after the real Miller's body is discovered, begins an investigation. McGarrett and co. utilize Clara as part of the con to bring conspirators to justice. She receives an Emmy nod for her work, Outstanding Lead Actress, Single Appearance in a Drama or Comedy Series. February 19th, 1977. Helen Hayes becomes the first woman to EGOT, Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, when she wins a Grammy for Best Spoken Word Recording of Great American Documents. In 1979, she is awarded the oldest Roman Catholic honor in America, the Laetare, which means Rejoice Medal, at the University of Notre Dame. In 1980, she receives the Tony Award for Lifetime Achievement in Theater, and in 1981, at the 4th Annual Kennedy Center Awards, she is honored with Count Basie, Cary Grant, Jerome Rod Robbins, and Rudolph Serkin. That evening, Jimmy Stewart said of her, For her, acting is a form of giving, and since her very first appearance, Helen Hayes has been giving audiences the very best of herself. In 1983, the Washington Theater Awards Society was founded to recognize and encourage excellence in professional theater in the Washington region through the presentation of the Helen Hayes Awards. And in May of 1984, Helen presides over the inaugural awards ceremony. At this point, despite being retired, she would still take acting roles for philanthropic reasons. In 1985, she returns to the New York stage in a benefit reading of A Christmas Carol with the late Raul Julia, Len Caro, Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, Carol Shelley, Celeste Holm, and Harold Scott, directed by W. Stuart McDowell. In 2015, the Helen Hayes Awards are split into a Helen group and a Hayes group. The Helens are for non-equity productions, which means that no more than three equity performers are in the show or they make up less than 51% of the cast. The Hayes group of awards is for productions employing more equity actors. In 1986, Helen receives the Presidential Medal of Freedom from President Ronald Reagan. On March 17, 1993, Helen Hayes Brown MacArthur dies of congestive heart failure in Neak, New York. Broadway marquees were dimmed for one minute to honor the beloved star. In all, she won three Tonys, two Oscars, a television Emmy, and a recording industry Grammy for a disc on which she read the Bill of Rights. 
1981, she earned one of the Lifetime Achievement Honors for the Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts. In 1980, she was one of 10 American artists to be commemorated on a gold medallion issued by the Treasury Department. And in 2011, Helen Hayes becomes a stamp. I was actually at that ceremony. This is back in my intern days and going to the Helen Hayes Awards was your big kind of end of the year excitement to see all the shows you worked on get recognized and check in with all of your performers and friends and other theater artists. So we had a van full of interns dressed to the 29s and we all got commemorative Helen Hayes stamp sheets, which I still have. And at that Helen Hayes Award, Tommy Toon received the Lifetime Achievement Award. He is incredibly tall. We were walking behind him on our way to the after party. In 2020, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, the Helen Hayes Awards went digital, and that was the first year that they introduced gender-inclusive awards. So the 19 performance categories are being renamed and integrated and presented as best performer, outstanding lead performer, outstanding supporting performer with two recipients in each category. The decision to rename the categories was made to reduce further harm to non-binary artists and to demonstrate a new path for these categories. And I was very proud to say that the winners that year both went to Alney Theater Favorites and they both made a bit of history. Melinda Kathleen Reese for her role in of Girl in Once Melinda is one of three sets of family members to win both Helen Hayes Awards, and she makes the first mother-daughter pair. Her mother, Mary Hall Surface, won in 2002 for Outstanding Director of a Resident Musical, Perseus Bayou. The other winner that year for Outstanding Lead Performer went to Mason Alexander Park for their role as the MC in Cabaret. Mason is also the first non-binary performer to receive the award. They have been working non-stop lately, and you can check them out in Cowboy Bebop. They're in the new Neil Gaiman Sandman coming out, and we got to welcome them back to Olney last year to reprise their role as Hedwig in Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Helen Hayes created a legacy that is built to change and built to tell and support diverse stories. I'm very proud to be part of that legacy, and I'm super glad that I got to share it with you today. So, wonderful listeners, that's Rufus, and he says my time to record is over. So be sure to like, share, subscribe, review, all that good stuff. If you have not signed up to be a patron and get all the special, amazing, secret patron-only episodes, please do so. Full disclosure, I am one of the Tour Guide Tell All patrons. I subscribe every month and look forward to those special patron-only episodes. Thank you so much for joining me today, hearing about Helen Hayes, the First Lady of the American Theater. Have a wonderful day. Stay cool. Brush your teeth. High five someone. And there you go. Bye bye. So if you want to catch Melissa on a ghost tour, you have to come to DC quick. She is moving. Our eminent ghost guide got a job at Transylvania University, and I cannot think of a more appropriately named employer for her.
So come to DC like within the next month or send us lots of comments about how she needs to come back to DC for fall break in October. Tour Guide Tell All is brought to you by the guides of DC by Foot. Check us out at dcbyfoot.com to see what tours we have that you can join us on your next visit to the city. And Tour Guide Tell All will be back in a few weeks with all new episodes.